Well, good morning, North Point. How's everybody doing? I think this is the middle. We'll figure it out as we go. But hey, it's good to see you guys. Man, I love hearing the stories of people. Isn't that awesome? Just love hearing uh, stories of how God's moving in people's life, right? You know, um, as the high school pastor here at North Point, uh, I mean, I've sort of learned and discovered something about high school students, well, a lot of things, but one of the things is that uh, a lot of times high school students need to hear the truth, right? A lot of times high school students need to hear what is true. All Any parents in the room who have high school students who are like, yes, my kid needs to hear what's true. Well, sometimes these uh, students, they need to hear it in a way that gets them, that kind of honestly punches them in the gut a little bit, okay? Let's be honest. Like sometimes they just need to be able to remember it. And so, for example, sometimes I'll say these things to them. Uh, a couple weeks ago, for example, uh, I was telling, uh, talking about Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is coming up this week, I think, right? Uh, and so I was telling them about uh, Valentine's Day and just saying that Valentine's Day is completely useless. It's dumb. It doesn't, it's not a holiday that should be celebrated. It's dumb, right? I was just going on and on. Valentine's Day is dumb. And some of you are like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Or some of you agree with me. If you agree with me, I'm with you because I actually think it's dumb. But um, but I was actually telling them this because what we know about high school students is their their life revolves around, oh, I'm dating this person or this person's dating that person or man, who's my Valentine? or I'm going to post this about this person. Oh, she's my love. Whatever, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so my goal was to just help them understand, man, it's not the end of the world. Your life doesn't have to revolve around who you're dating. Uh, a couple of years ago, another example, I was talking to a Bible study group and uh, telling them, trying to help them understand the idea that we are not as good as we pretend like we are. That our world would say, no, you're good enough. You can do it. You can save yourself. Uh, but actually, no, we need Jesus as our Savior. And so I said to them, I said, uh, you know, um, you can think about it like this. You can think about it and remember, you suck, Jesus doesn't, right? And you're like, oh man, you shouldn't have said that. And I know I shouldn't have, but they remembered it. In fact, one of them wanted to put it on a t-shirt and I was like, no, we can't do that. That's not very nice, right? We, we can't do that. Actually, my wife was the one who got mad. She helps me say things a little bit nicer. But, um, but anyway, but right, so, but this is what Jesus does a lot of times. He does it in a lot better way, uh, a lot more grace, Um, A lot more mercy when he says things that are difficult. But Jesus does say the hard things. Jesus says some things that are difficult for us to hear so that we don't forget them. He says some things that are difficult so that we, to make us think or to challenge us or to convict us. And we cannot ignore them. In fact, the hard sayings of Jesus are often the most freeing. And we have to pay attention to them. Jesus is trying to help us see the world in a different way. And this is what Jesus is doing in our story today in Mark chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got an outline, you can grab that. It's on there and uh, it'll be on the screen as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 and we're going to read this together. It starts in verse 17. Here we go. Are you ready? If you're ready, say I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. Verse 17. It says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt down before him, before Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do? Everybody say do. Can you circle that word, highlight that word, underlight that word on your outline? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, and honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Sure. Verse 21, looking at him, underlined circle, that next part, Jesus loved him. 
circle, highlight, underline, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed at this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around at his disciples and said how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Everybody say astonished. Astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel, for a camel, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you've heard this idea before, the camel through the eye of a needle. But it, whether you've heard it before or not, this is a little bit difficult for us to swallow, to hear, right? I mean, what is Jesus trying to say? Is Jesus saying, I've got to go and sell all my stuff and be like this rich man, then I can come follow? I mean, what is, he, is Jesus saying I can't make money? Is Jesus saying I can't provide for my family or that I have to live poor on purpose in order to enter heaven or enter the kingdom? I mean, what is Jesus asking? actually saying what does he mean and when we boil it down what Jesus is doing is he's pointing something out in us and in this ruler he's trying to help us see that man we are actually held hostage by the cares of this world and it prevents us from seeing the kingdom of God that we miss out on seeing the kingdom because we assume that there are other things more important in our life the main concern of Jesus in this passage is that we see the kingdom. And I don't just mean when we go to heaven. That's what we often think about when we hear something like this. But Jesus isn't just talking about heaven one day. He's talking about today, that we would see the kingdom today, now. The whole picture is that Jesus is saying you can experience the kingdom of God in your life today and in the future fully revealed in heaven one day. This is what Jesus wants for us. The problem is, it's easy for us to get caught in the pursuit of other things. It's easy for us to miss it, to go in the wrong direction, and we need help to see the bigger picture. That's what I think Jesus is doing. There was one night uh, while I was driving home from work. I worked in, uh, in River Park at Tilly's at the time. You guys been to Tilly's in River Park? Yeah. And uh, I, I was driving down Herndon, it was like 11 o'clock at night, I was working the closing shift or whatever, so driving down Herndon, all of a sudden, someone gets up right behind me, right on my tailgate, right? Anybody do that to you before? And if there's one thing, one thing that, that really just makes me angry when driving, it's that. Like, please, just like go around me, do something else, figure it out, right? I'm going the speed limit, I promise you. I don't drive like a grandpa, but please just go around me something, right? And so I'm getting upset, I'm getting angry, I'm tired, I'm over it, right? And so uh, I, don't, I don't honk my horn, I don't yell, I don't throw up a hand or whatever, but what I do is I just decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow down. And so they're right behind me, and I'm, I'm going to slow down. So I'm starting to slow down, and he can't get around me because there's other cars and all these things. And so I'm slow, and all of a sudden, we're going 30 miles an hour down here, and he's like, you know, riding. And I'm, I'm slowing down still, right? Like, I'm not pushing on the gas. I'm pushing on the brake, and he's still right behind me all the way down Herndon, and he's getting angry. And well, so what do people do when they, like, you notice that people, sometimes they can swerve with an attitude. You notice some people do that, right? You drive, and so all of a sudden, he swerves with that little attitude, and he gets over, and I'm just laughing to myself because I'm like, now I'm just making you more angry, right? And so what do I do when he swerves? As soon as he swerves, what do I do? 
Oh, I'm speeding up, right? You're not getting around me. You decided to ride my butt. Oh, you can't get around me. And so he, I speed up. And then we're playing this game all the way down Herndon. We get behind a semi-truck. And I'm laughing because the semi-truck's going slow. And he can't get around it, right? It's awesome. And so I'm laughing. And it's amazing. And, and I think that I'm so funny. And it's awesome until finally we get to a spot where it was just me and him, two lanes. And we're probably going way too fast at this point. And he gets around me, and he comes up next to me, and I look in my side mirror, and all of a sudden I look that this isn't just a normal car. I look, and he's got lights on top of his car. And he comes up next to me, and all of a sudden I see, this is a police officer. The whole time down Herndon, I'm playing this game with a police officer. Like, what in the world are you doing? And I felt so dumb in that moment, right? Thankfully, thankfully, he didn't pull me over. He just was like, just throw the hand and like, he just gave me like the dirtiest look I've ever seen, right? He didn't pull me over because probably he was, you know, he was, he was participating, right? Going too fast. I mean, it's a little bit his thing, right? But man, if I had someone in my passenger seat to go, hey, you idiot, this is a police officer behind you. Stop trying to be funny. Stop thinking only about yourself. Pay attention to what's really going on here. If I had someone to just be like, wake up and see what's happening, man, I wouldn't have felt so dumb in the end that I was playing this dumb game with a police officer. And I think this is what Jesus wants to do for us through this story. Jesus is revealing to us the places where we're running after the wrong thing. We are missing the bigger picture because we're following something else. We miss out on the kingdom. We're anxious and full of fear. We're living one day at a time, trying to survive, trying to keep my kids from killing each other or killing me, right? Trying to survive school or work, and we're anxious and we're worried, and Jesus, and it's overwhelming. Jesus is going, your eyes are in the wrong place. You, ha- you can't see what's actually going on. You're missing the kingdom. See, seeing the kingdom is all about living with Jesus today. Not just one day in heaven, but we get to live with him and experience him today. And so how do we do that? Here's, uh, let me just answer this question uh, right at the top. Here's your, your first point. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here's your for- first point. You see the kingdom when you choose to follow the king today. You see the kingdom when you choose to follow the king today. Man, if we want to see reality, what's really going on, We've got to follow King Jesus today. Now, here's the deal, though. If Jesus is king, that means you're not. If Jesus is king, that means I'm not king of my own life. And if we want to see the kingdom, we've got to follow Jesus. Jesus tells the ruler, hey, come and follow me. But like I said, there are some things that get in the way of seeing the kingdom, of following the king. There are some things that prevent us from fully and finally seeing the king, it's why the ruler goes away grieving and sad. And I think we can identify these three things. So what I want to do is I just want to unpack this story a little bit and see that there are three things. Everybody say three things. Three. three things that get in the way of us seeing the kingdom. Here's number one. Number one, everybody say number one. Number one is your performance. Your performance. Trying to do whatever you can to earn attention and love from God keeps you from resting in his grace that he offers as a gift. Trying to earn the love of God keeps you from resting in his grace. This is where we find the rich ruler in verse 17. He ran up, knelt down before Jesus, and he said, Good teacher, what must I, what? What was that word I had you circle? What must I 
do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He starts with a good question, but it's the wrong question. He asked, what must I do? His, his focus was on outward performance. What can I do to go to heaven? What can I do to be saved? What can I do to, to finally and fully find joy in life in this kingdom? And you and I are guilty of living the same way. Think about it. We live in a performance-centered world. I mean, what are we doing today? The game today, some of you are going to go home and you're going to eat lots of really good food and you're going to pay attention to a TV and you're going to watch two teams perform in front of you. And you are going to be the judge sitting on your couch. You're going to say, oh, that person shouldn't have done that and that person's not performing well. And then you're going to yell at the refs and go, no, you're not supposed to make that call because my team needs to win, right? This is how we respond. I mean, it's all about performance and this person winning and losing. We even perform in our relationships, right? When my wife and I first started dating, there was this sense that I felt like, man, I had to, I had to sort of put on my best, right? I mean, it's not always a bad thing. I had to perform a little bit. Maybe you've experienced that. It's, it's good to an extent. I mean, if you, don't, if you show up on a first date, like coming from the gym with gym shorts and B.O., like major red flag right there, right? Like not okay. And so there's this sense that we've got to put on our best a little bit, right? I mean, let me be clear. Like my best is still like Vans shorts and a hat. Like, hey, like I'm not talking like you full up, show up in a suit or something. But, but we, we do show up a little bit performing. But what happens over time is as the walls of performance are broken down, our relationship grows deeper and stronger, Right? How many of you, how many of you remember the first time you passed gas in front of your uh, spouse or in front of a friend? Anybody? That's an intimate moment, right? I remember, I remember the moment with my wife. It was so funny. Like literally our wedding day, our wedding night, like we got in the car and I was like, all right, you're stuck with me. Here we go, right? Like no joke. That's not, you can go ask her later. That's how it happened. But this is what happens. This is what, uh, this is what happens in our relationship. Performance hinders intimacy. Performance hinders intimacy. As you stop trying to perform, man, you'll find real and close friendship and some of us some of us are living to perform for Jesus and we're missing out on relationship with Jesus we live to do and do and do and do and do so that Jesus will love us and we'll earn and we'll feel better about ourselves but you're missing out on a relationship a friendship with Jesus and maybe you're exhausted from trying to perform from doing all these things and being a good person Jesus just wants you to come and sit with him. Man, I can't tell you how many times students have, have come to me and just said, man, I, I feel like I need to get my life together in order before I can be baptized, before I can come to know Jesus. But man, this is just, this is not the invitation of Jesus. What Jesus, Jesus isn't, he's not, he's not moved by the act you put on at church. Jesus' desire for you is a heart changed on the inside that will transform your life on the outside. This is his desire. Performance doesn't save us. In fact, your pursuit of performing is what's keeping you from seeing the kingdom. What you're doing as you try to perform for Jesus is you're trying to say, I can be my own savior. Man, we don't want Jesus to be our savior. We want Jesus to show us how we can be our own savior. Man, we want the kingdom without the king. And Jesus is going, no, you can't do it your own way. It will never Work. The ruler asks the wrong question. He says, what must I do instead of who must I know? It's all about Jesus. 
Jesus says no one is good but God alone. And he completely misses it. No, you can't perform. You can't do what you want to do in order to see the kingdom. You're missing it. Seeing the kingdom is all about following the king. And maybe we're missing it because, uh, because we, we're trying to perform our way in. And we're not following the king. Man, if we want to see the kingdom, we have to lay aside our performance. And we have to realize we don't have it all figured out. Which leads us to our second thing. Everybody say number two. Number two is your pride. Your pride. When you think you know better than the king, you miss the joy of the kingdom. Jesus answers uh, the, the guy's question kind of in an interesting way. In verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. There's six of those, right? Okay, keep that in mind. Verse 20, then, then the guy responds and he goes, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Now, I have a little bone to pick with this guy because I have an almost two-year-old at home. And I bet if we were to ask his parents when he was like two, three years old, like I wonder, maybe, right? If there's anything that my toddler has taught me, it's that we are all jacked up and we need grace, right? I mean, we often dishonor our parents. And man, she's awesome and I love her. But I mean, whoever invented the like Sour Patch Kids, like God, it right like first they're sweet then they're sour anybody you, you know what I'm talking about kids anyway anyway my point is like he didn't understand he's missing it and then we look at what Jesus says and he lists all these commandments and there's two questions we might have well is Jesus saying that we have to earn it again because I thought you just took all this time to say we don't have to earn it what is Jesus doing and why did he leave out some of the commandments because how many commandments are there there are the what commandments the the 10 everybody say 10 the Ten Commandments. Now Jesus lists six. And if we do a little bit of math, how many are left? Four. You guys are good at math. I love it. It's early, but we're good. Four, right? There's four. We've got a slide that you can see all of them listed. There's, there's ten commandments, and Jesus only lists four. What is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to point out the pride in this guy's life. He's trying to show him that, listen, you're not seeing the whole picture. Listen, you're missing some of the commandments. Someone who's following God like this guy would say he is would realize that Jesus left some out. He's so sure that he is good and everything is fine that he didn't realize he's missing four of the ten commandments. His pride had blinded him to the kingdom. And those first four of uh, those ten commandments that Jesus leaves out were all about honoring and loving God. See, this guy didn't understand. He was missing. He, he, he had the good moral character, moral uh, uh, attitude and behavior on the outside, but on the inside. Man, he wasn't honoring and loving God. Man, he might have been a good person on the outside, but he was, his pride had blinded him to see how he'd sinned against God, pursuing uh, fame and pursuing possessions and money before God. And his pride blinded him. This is what pride does for us. It blinds us from seeing any wrong in ourself. And so what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is taking the law and he's holding it up kind of like a mirror in front of this guy and going, look, you don't have it all figured out. But his pride had blinded him. I thought about it like this. How many have ever gotten ready for church on Sunday morning? You get all dressed up and you do your thing, right? Some of you put the jersey on, you get the makeup and you... That's not makeup, that's hair. But you do all your stuff, right? You do all your things and then you get here and you get in the car and everything's good. Everybody's uh, happy and you're talking to people on the patio and everything's good. And then you come and sit down and you pull out your phone. And on your phone, you accidentally open the camera, right? Anybody ever do this? And then all of a sudden it's on selfie mode. Anybody? 
Yes, I think that's what it's called, selfie mode, because we love to take selfies. I know you do. Don't lie to me, right? And, and you take the selfie, and so you, you look down, and all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, who is that in that mirror, right? And you're like, whoa, what is that thing in my teeth? Like there's a little bit of spinach left from my breakfast, and no one said, and all of a sudden you're embarrassed because you're like, how did I miss it? How did I not see it? This is what Jesus is trying to do. Hey, you're not seeing the whole picture. Hey, you're seeing that there's something you're missing. You've sinned against God, but his pride had, had, had blinded him from seeing the whole picture. See, in fact, this is what pride does to us. Pride keeps us from looking in the mirror. In fact, pride takes the mirror and it turns itself on, on other people. How many of us, we can see the flaws in other people before we see the problems in our own heart? This is what pride does. Pride pays attention to the flaws of other people. I heard someone say yesterday, talk about how they can't root for the Chiefs today because uh, Patrick Mahomes is too uh, uh, arrogant and prideful and cocky. And, and whether or not that's true, I don't know. But I found myself saying the same things at times. And then I was convicted in my own heart as I heard this person talking. And I thought, man, it's so easy for me to see the pride in other people. But I rarely see it in myself. And it's so easy for us to point out the sinfulness of other people. Man, what those people need to do, what those people need to hear. Man, if you're sitting here and all this whole time you're going, man, it would be great if this person could just hear this message. If you come on Sunday mornings, you're like, man, I need to send this to that person. It's not bad to share it. But man, if all you can think about is that person needs to do this differently, you are consumed with pride. And it will kill your relationships and it, just, it keeps you from seeing the kingdom. Because here's the deal. As soon as we look in the mirror, as soon as we finally look in the mirror and realize that I don't have it all together, that we're not worthy, that our performance will never add up, we start looking for a savior. And in the kingdom of God, you don't have to pretend like you know it all or that you have it all together. You can admit that you don't and that you are in desperate need of a king that saves. And that's Jesus. And maybe we miss the kingdom because we're puffed up with pride. We think we've got it all together. We think we know better than God. And for some of us, the reason that we're walking in pride is because we've accumulated all this, this life of worldly success and worldly wealth. See, here's the third thing. Everybody say number three. The third thing that gets in the way of us seeing the kingdom is your possessions. And this is the obvious one that we see in the story. But here's the reality. You can't walk with the king if you're running after more stuff. Your possessions, your money, might be keeping you from walking in real freedom. And this is what, the, what Jesus is inviting the ruler to see. He looks at him and he gives him a practical solution. Verse 21, he says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Again, circle that, highlight that. Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But the man was dismayed by this demand. He went away grieving because he had many possessions. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus isn't anti-possessions, but he's looking to what we pursue and run after first. What we put first in our life. To be clear, I don't think Jesus is asking all of us to go do what he asked this man to do. To go sell everything that we have. To live poor. To not provide for our family. I don't think Jesus is asking you to quit your job. I, I do think Jesus is challenging what we build our life on. I wonder if Jesus is challenging what we put our trust and our hope in. 
what the things that we put before him. Because we often put things before him instead of the one who created those things. And think about it. If, if Jesus were to ask you today, what is that thing? What is that thing? If, if Jesus were to ask you to say, let go of it, you'd walk away grieving. Or you'd find a little bit of anger in yourself at Jesus and go, no, I can't do that. You don't get it. No, 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 I can't let go of that. You don't get, no, 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 Jesus, if I let my, if I quit my job, if I do this, if I do that, I, no, 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 Jesus, you don't get it. What would be that thing that you'd start arguing with Jesus about? I heard someone tell a story a while back that I thought was so powerful that illustrated this. Basically, there was this way that, uh, that this ancient way that you, they used to catch monkeys. Why they caught monkeys, I don't know. But they, the right, old way of catching monkeys, don't think they do it this way anymore. But this old way of catching monkeys, they would take a coconut. Everybody say coconut. They would take a coconut and they would hollow it out and they'd put this hole in it. And then they'd put some stuff in there that monkeys really like, fruit or rice or whatever it was. And then they'd tie the coconut to a tree or to a stake or something where it couldn't get away. And so what they found was that monkeys were really greedy. What they do is monkeys would come up and they'd smell it or, I don't know, do monkeys smell? I think, right? And then they'd see it and they'd go, I think monkeys smell, but they'd see it and they'd go, man, I want that thing. Man, that's the thing that's going to bring me life. That's the thing that I'm going to find full and final happiness. That's the thing that I'm, and that's finally going to fill me. And they'd go, all right, I'm going to put my hand in there, I'm going to grab it. And they'd put their hand in, they'd grab it, and they'd reach for it, and they'd make this fist. But as soon as they made the fist to grab the fruit, they couldn't pull their hand back out. And here's the reality. They could have set themselves free if they had just let go. But the thing that they thought would finally fill them, would finally give them happiness, the thing that they thought would finally bring real life and freedom for them, was actually what's holding them down in captivity. What is that thing for you? What is, what is it that you're holding on to that actually has a hold of you? What is it that you can't let go of that's stopping you from walking in real freedom? Maybe Jesus is inviting you to let go and find real life in him. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's our iPhone. Maybe whatever the case is, what is it for you? Maybe it's our family. What is it that you're holding on to that Jesus is going, hey, let go. I want you to find real life. Man, if we think, we always, we often think, man, if I could just make a little bit more money, we'll be okay. If I had that job that that person had, then our family would be good and we would be stress-free. Man, if, if we could just move to Texas where it's cheaper and then we'd all be good and we'd be happy. Man, if inflation could stop going up and if, if gas prices could, and if, and if this and if that and the price of eggs and blah, 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 blah. And maybe, maybe we're so worried. Maybe we live life so anxious and worried because we believe that the value of our life is measured by the amount of stuff that we have, by the amount of money in our bank account, by the right things that we're pursuing. Man, maybe we're so worried and Jesus is going, just let go and follow me. Living in the kingdom means trusting God to provide your needs today. Not tomorrow, but today. This is why Jesus says when he talks about worry, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be 
added to you. Maybe we miss the kingdom because we can't let go of that one thing. We're holding on and that thing is holding us down. Jesus in his grace invites us to let go. His invitation for the rich ruler is, hey, go and sell all these things. It's not because Jesus hates money or Jesus hates possessions. It's because Jesus looked at him and what did I have you circle? He loved him. Jesus looks at us and go, listen, that thing is holding you down and I want you to experience real freedom. Come and let go and come and follow me. Give that thing up. Quit letting that thing holding hold you back. And Jesus wanted real freedom. Looking at him, Jesus what? Jesus loved him. And then he said, go and sell all that you have. It was out of love that Jesus invited him to sell all that he had. This is how we see the kingdom. Not that we go and we have to sell everything, but it does mean that we do everything we can to put Jesus first. What is that thing you're holding on to? And we see the kingdom by choosing to follow the king. We've got to let go of our performance, our pride, and our possessions. We've got to let go. And here's the reality. As we keep in step with the king, as we choose to follow him, we grow in affection for him and our attachment to those other things begins to die. As we continue to follow him, we realize that that's the only, he's the only person that can bring real life. Remember, he asked the wrong question, what must I do? The right question was, who must I know? Who must I follow? This is how we see the kingdom. So, I've got three things. Everybody say three more things. Three things. Three things of how we see the kingdom without letting our performance, pride, and possessions get in the way. Here's the first one. Number one is you got to admit that you're not good you got to admit that you're not good. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, only who is good? Only God is good. Only God is good. And he completely missed it. You know, there was a, a, a time that my, my wife and I, we, we, like to, we've, we have liked to sing uh, the song, Jesus Loves Me, to our daughter. You guys know that song? Right, And so we'd sing it to her, and we'd sing it with her name in it. So we'd sing, Jesus loves June, this I know. What's the next word? Line. Come on, don't make me sing by myself. For the Bible tells me so. Right? Little one to him belong. And then, right? And then it says, she is weak, but he is strong. Right? And so there was one time that my wife was singing the song, and she was singing it to her, remember? And, and she changed the words a little bit. She said, she is small, but he is strong. And I asked her, well, later on, I asked her, why'd you change the words, and she said, well, it, it felt kind of weird to look at her and be like, you're weak, right? Which I admit, like it feels kind of awkward and it feels kind of weird to sing it to her and be like, you're weak. And here's the reality. In a world of empowerment and protection of feelings and self-esteem and everybody wins and all that, right? In this world that we live in, man, we start to believe that it's wrong to think that you and I are not good. But we're not. <laughs> Can I set you free from something? Man, we are sinful people. We have sin-stained hearts, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. We are not good. Jesus is good. Yes, we are weak. We have to realize our weakness in order to see his strength. We have to understand that we are desperate sinners in need of a Savior, and that is Jesus. Ephesians shows us this in Ephesians 2. It says, and you were what? What is it on your outline on the screen? And you were? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Romans says, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. This is who you and I are. Man, we have to admit that you and I are sinners in desperate need 
of a Savior. You and I are not good. There's only one who is good. Man, and it's God. We have to admit that we've fallen short. It starts with a confession. I've got to say, man, I've messed up. Man, I cannot live up to your standard. I need help. I cannot perform my way into the kingdom. If we want to see the kingdom, we have to say, I will never perform my way there. 1 John 1, 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And which leads us to the second thing. Everybody say number two. We've got to trust that it's Jesus that saves you. We've got to trust that it's Jesus that saves you. It starts with confession, I'm not good enough. And then it's knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The gift of Jesus is that he took on your sin and nailed your debt to the cross like Colossians says. And that he also gave you as a gift his righteousness, his right standing before God. Romans 5 says that we've been given undeserved privilege before God. This is the gift of God's grace. This is the gospel. He made you new. You were dead like Ephesians said. And here's the second part of that Ephesians in verse 4. It says, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God. This is a great way to sum up the gospel. Two words. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us what? Alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works So no one may boast. It's not your own performance, not your own pride. You cannot do it on your own. You want to live in the kingdom? Live in the citizenship that's been gifted to you. Stop trying to earn it. The rich young ruler asked the wrong question, what must I do instead of who must I know? It's all about Jesus, not anything that you've ever done or will ever do. It's a gift, and so we get to walk in it. We get to walk in it. Now, because of what's been accomplished for you, we get to do this third thing. Because of what he's already done for you, here's number three. We get to be obedient to what he's asking you to do today. Be obedient to what he's asking you. Man, if Jesus is king of my life, then his commands are not suggestions. They're actually an invitation into real life today and eternal life tomorrow. We don't obey in order to be saved. We don't do the things of Jesus in order to save ourselves, sort of enter the kingdom, but we do them because we've already been gifted the kingdom. Obedience, obedience is the way that we see more of the kingdom. Obedience is the way that we keep in step with Jesus. Obedience is the way that we stay right on King Jesus' heels. This is how we do it when we say yes to Jesus. You've been given incredible grace and now you're invited to walk on an incredible journey with Jesus as you do life with him in obedience because you love him. We don't obey so that he'll love us. We obey because he already loved us at our worst. John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Obedience is the mark of a love for Jesus. You know, we just celebrated uh, Martin Luther King Jr. about a month ago, and I was reading about him, and a lot, of us, we, a lot of us, we know some quotes or messages or things that he has said, but uh, man, there was one that just encouraged me and I thought would encourage us together today. Uh, in his last sermon, his last message that he had given before he died, um, he addressed some of, the, some of the times where there were people who were threatening his life, some of the times where he had assassination attempts on his life, and this happened to be just one night before he was killed. So he says, this. 
Here's what he says. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but he says, I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He says, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight, as he's talking to the people, he says that we as a people will, not, will get to the promised land. So he says, so I'm happy tonight. He says, I'm not worried about anything. I'm not a fearing man, and here's what I want us to get. He says, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming Lord. What's the point? His eyes were not on finishing his mission. His, not, his eyes were not on accomplishing his goal. His eyes were on Jesus. Man, what, what, how is it that this guy could live such an incredible life and fight for something so needed in such a needed time and have so much taken away from him? It's because his eyes were on Jesus. There's a philosopher and professor who studied him. He said his commitment to radical love had everything to do with his commitment to Jesus. And someone who fought for the rights of people, his first, and go- first goal, first and foremost, was that people see and know Jesus and understand and live like Jesus. Man, this is what obedience looks like, to be so committed to what Jesus is asking you to do and to live like him. This is what it looks like. If we're struggling to walk in obedience, here's what we need to do. We've got to be reminded of those first two things I gave you. We've got to be reminded of the gospel. We've got to be reminded. We've got to look back because when we realize what, we've, what Jesus has given us, man, there's nothing that we shouldn't give back to him. Obedience equals freedom. Man, Jesus says it's difficult for the rich person to enter the kingdom or to see the kingdom because of pride, performance, and possessions. But here's the reality. Here's your challenge for this week and for this month. As you go from this place, man, what if those three things I just gave you, I know we closed up our outlines, we put them away and we did all those things, but man, if we just look back at those three things I just gave you, and if in every moment, every moment, every place that you walk into, think about it, when you walk in the gym, when you walk into work, when you walk into school, when you walk and, and into, the home, into your home, before you walk into your home, before going home to your family, if we just took a moment and prayed these three things and said, Jesus, I'm not good enough. I can't do this on my own. Help me. And we said, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, show me where I failed to trust you. Help me to walk in obedience. And then we asked the question of Jesus, how would you have me do that in this moment? And then we we're ready to say yes. Man, if we just did walk through these three things in prayer before we walked into any place at any time, our lives would be so much different. This is how we see the kingdom. The invitation of Jesus is this today. Come and walk in the kingdom today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Jesus, we are not good enough. Man, we desperately need you. We desperately need you today. Jesus, we admit that we fail and we mess up, that we will never measure up with our performance. And Jesus, we trust you. We know that you have come to save. Jesus, we know that you continue to give grace when we mess up and we love you. Jesus, help us to walk in obedience today. Show us the places where we fail to do that and help us to say yes to you quickly. God, we love you and we praise you. We give you all glory and honor and praise in your name. Everybody said, amen.